Hi, everybody. Dan Luters here, producer of the Q&A podcast. On behalf of everyone on the Q&A podcast team, we want to extend our deepest gratitude for each and every man and woman serving in our armed forces. We are eternally grateful. This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you. And every Wednesday, we deal with issues of culture and theology. All this week, we've been talking about the issue of pacifism. On Monday, Pastor Tim and I, we answered the question, I killed someone in battle Am I a murderer? I just want to say this on the front end, Pastor Tim, you're flat wrong and I'm right. So that being said, uh, I, I want to introduce you to this week's culture and theology subject, and it's the issue of just war theory. You may not know what that is. I'll explain it in a moment. But really what I want to do is I want to build up to a question. And the, really, the question has to do with how does a Christian view uh, our current conflict with North Korea? Is America justified in its verbal aggression, its war aggression. The plausibilities are endless over the next couple weeks, months, years of what could possibly happen. How do we think biblically about a potential war? How do we think biblically about nuclear war? That's where we're gonna culminate this. But what I wanna do to start this off is introduce you, the listener, to this issue of just war theory. And in the fifth century, St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God. In this, he proposed rules for what we now would call just war. But it really should be noted that just war is a thoroughly Christian idea, although it does have roots in different philosophical uh, schools of thought. So prior to developed ideas on just war, nations and tribes, uh, by and large, took what they wanted. The strongest one, greed, saving face, pride, vengeance, they were all normal motivations for war. Some wars were more just than others, but the ethics of war itself was not a limiting factor. Nobody didn't attack somebody, or by and large, they didn't attack somebody because it would have been considered unjust or immoral by, we'll say, the masses. And so what St. Augustine did is he addressed two major questions. Number one, when is it when is it morally okay to go to war? What is a moral motivation for going to war? And then number two, what is a moral means of conducting war? What, what is an ethical way to actually execute warfare in a way that, from his perspective, would bring glory to God? And so when he talked about what is a moral motivation, he gave four real categories. He said that a war has to have, number one, just authority. It needs to be uh, administered by a legitimate and recognized state. Now, that's obviously a very relative term, uh, especially over the last 2,000 years, what is legitimate and recognized. Uh, we live in a very different world than Augustine lived in, but it was said to be that this uh, war-sanctioning organization had to be legitimate in some way. Uh, number two, the war had to have a just cause. Uh, the war must be a logical and moral step to remediate, mitigate, or remove a significant degree of evil from the world. Uh, so there had to be some kind of legitimate moral evil that this uh, war-sanctioning nation, empire, or tribe would be pursuing. Uh, number three, uh, Augustine said that it had to have the right intention, that the intention must be to limit evil and injustice. The idea of my intention would be expanding my own territory, increasing my wealth, would not be considered, from Augustine's point of view, a legitimate reason to pursue war. Uh, number four, war had to be, from Augustine's perspective, a last and final resort. 
every other possible means of righting wrong must be pursued for a war to be considered just. He also asked the question, as we said earlier, what's a moral means of conducting war? He gave three basic categories for this. Number one is proportionality. The degree of force should correspond to the degree of evil that's being mitigated. And so one of the questions that this would raise up is, were the um, nuclear bombs in World War II on Japan a justifiable force given the amount of evil they were attempting to mitigate? That's a huge moral question. Uh, number two, it had to act in discrimination, meaning war could only be combatant versus combatant. You could not execute civilians in a just war, that the pursuit and the intention would be to leave non-combatants alone. Finally, number three is the issue of responsibility, so that a, a just war would hold the aggressing country uh, we'll say innocent, of all damage if the evil mitigated was greater than the damage done. Now, these are really relative ideas. It's very hard to quantify all of these. And the early church, by nature, it was pacifistic. It, it viewed war as something that they personally did not participate in. But this is understandable because, honestly, the majority for the first 300 years of the church's existence, to be a Christian was e either illegal or you didn't have access directly to get into the Roman military. And so, of course, it would be a natural byproduct that Christians were seen as pacifists, but Christians never had authority over the state until Constantine. And so new questions arose with the rise of Constantine in the early fourth century uh, as emperor. Um, now that, that the state is run, if you will, by the church and the two are combined in a way they never have been before, what are the moral ethical responsibilities of Christians in political leadership when it comes to war? Hence, Augustine wrote City of God and dealt with this idea of just war theory. Um, over the last 2,000 years, Thomas Aquinas elaborated on these. The Catholic Church has been very clear, but basically Augustine's view on just war theory has, for the most part, stood. Over the last 50 to 100 years, the nature of warfare has drastically changed. Now in the last 20 years, we see brand new, we'll say, uh, um, versions of guerrilla warfare, uh, civilian targeting, the list goes on and on. But really, a lot of these were even uh, introduced into global warfare in World War II, where under the Third Reich, Hitler would bomb uh, and obliterate um, hundreds of thousands of civilians. Um, and, and so these ideas of just war theory became very relevant in a new way over the 20th century. Now we're dealing with a nuclear age, new levels of destruction and catastrophe. And this is increasingly relevant because we have two world leaders going at each other, um, acting like children on the playground, it feels like, bullying each other, one on Twitter and the other through national propaganda. And so this is a really weird time with millions of lives potentially at stake. And so Christians need to be thoughtful and intentional with how we think about these things. I can't guarantee we're going to have the final answers in the next 30 minutes, but what I can guarantee is that we have really, really helpful, intelligent, godly, competent people to at least inaugurate uh, discussion and thought on this. And so I want to introduce you to our first person with us today, which is Jeremy Ellis, good friend and a very competent theologian uh, par excellence. <laughs> and uh, no, but but for real, Jeremy is very well read, very well thought. And honestly, you continue to provoke my brain on these really nuanced issues. And I really appreciate the way you think. And Craig Jarvis, Pastor Craig here, uh, Pastor Ville Church East, who is a Canadian, enough said. And uh, he's obviously going to bring um, an interesting perspective into this, into this dialogue. So uh, it's been said, all war is evil, but a just war is the lesser of two evils. So Jeremy, I want to start with you. Is war morally neutral? Let me say it this way. Can somebody be uh, sanctioning war? and have that not be a sin before God? 
Yeah, I think it it can not be a sin, but it of course it that would depend on why you are fighting this war and and the means by which you're fighting this war. So it doesn't have to be, I would say, wrong, but uh, you would have to qualify that in a, in, a, in a number of ways. So in today's age, you know, I would say there's definitely a pull for Christians to be almost pure pacifists, and I think you know that that's kind of a. It, people are going the other way because I think for for the last thirty years, Christians were very strongly pro-war without really any any uh, reservations. So I think the tide is, is slowly turning. At least some of the circles that I read, and especially within younger people, that, that they don't want to go that route anymore. So I think they're kind of they're kind of basically saying almost every war that I can think of, younger people at least they, they they're they're saying uh, that's probably not you know morally advisable. So it can be, but from what I've seen, younger people are definitely going the other way on that. I mean, I don't know, I don't have the hard stats on that, but just from what I've seen, and and even amongst evangelical Christians, I've seen that too. Yeah. So let's, let's break that down just for a moment, because um, if you've grown up in America, you grew up with a strong national pride and uh, the idea that my nation is moral and other nations are immoral. For example, when you take uh, the United States of America, and you juxtapose that with Kim Jong-un and North Korea, uh, we have in our brain self-defined categories. We are the good guys. They are the bad guys. Yep. Uh, when you think about uh, the war in Iraq, forget about whether or not it was connected to 9-11 or not. You have we are the good guys and they are the bad guys. And so when you grow up in this with this moral clarity, it gets really easy to self-justify any war. But somebody who's maybe 35 and under, 40 and under, what is changing in the cultural dialogue that's fostering this, we'll say, new perspective on historical wars or this new perspective on war itself? As we were talking earlier, there seems to be much more skepticism about our identity as Americans and whether or not we're the good guys. What's changing in this? I think 9-11 was probably the defining event because right after 9-11, you had this really strong increase in patriotism and uh, and pretty much all of the United States, including young people, older people, everyone was riding that patriotism. But I think as, you know, CNN was the first to cover the first Gulf War from a media perspective. And then, and then this second war, the media was just there. You were, you could ride along with the troops pretty much. And I think that exposed a lot of what goes on in war in ways that we hadn't seen. War was, was filtered in ways that it wasn't you know, during this most recent Gulf War starting in 2002 and three, So I think that coupled, so we have this increase in patriotism. And at the same time, I think the reasons for the Gulf War, the weapons of mass destruction, which for the most part were never found. And that was the main reason for that. When that broke down and people realized that maybe we should have still gone to war, but it wasn't for that reason. It broke down. And I think people said, wow, I had this strong wave of patriotism. It was, at least most Americans say it was justified. And then I see this inside approach, this inside view of war from the media that's able to go into that war. And then I see all these reasons for this great patriotism break down. And I think that coupled with, you know, some sense of of growing postmodernism, what is true, what is right, is this narrative of America being, you know, some people would say almost like the savior of the world or the best country in the world that broke down before our eyes, at least in, in many people's minds. And I think there is this idea of now of should we be even be involved in these things? At the very least, it has to be something that is a very, very last resort. I, 
I don't think no, if we realize that that I mean these numbers are maybe somewhat disputed, but between 100 and 150 thousand Iraqis died. You know, of course, that was that was the different factions of Muslims killing each other. But still, that never happened under Saddam to that extent. 150,000 people died in addition to, I mean, more soldiers died in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars than during 9-11, the attacks. And plus the wounded and the PTSD. Times 30 or 40 but or 50, it, depending yeah, on the numbers. I mean, it was, it, was, it was car bombings every day. Mm-hmm. And of course, it still happens. And I think we looked at ourselves and said, what did we do? What did we, you know— not saying that it was our fault per se, but I think that's kind of what's shaping and helping uh, and helping young and old say is what's going on here and making helping us, uh, you know, redouble and and rethink what what is the Christian view on work. We had a, a very strongly Christian president that was leading that too. When you have that standard bearer as an American, not only is he a Christian, he's a Protestant, he's he's an evangelical, and then that breaks down, it, it, whoa, it's like, what what is going on here? And, and then that goes back to our general thoughts on war. So I think that's what I've seen over the last few years. As somebody under 40 who grew up and 9-11 was my introduction to really war, I mean, I do remember being like 10, 11, 12 years old and seeing on TV with the first war in Iraq, but, um, but I do remember um, very, very clearly um, being able to, from from a communications perspective, make a direct connection between 9-11 and Iraq, weapons of mass destruction and Iraq, and believing that America was fiscally um, uh, in a good enough place to handle a war like this, only to get to the end of this time, being now in my late 20s at the time, and realizing there is no direct connection between 9-11 and Iraq that we could make. And at least not that was argued for. Argued for. Pause. I've yet to hear a great argument for it. I'm not even saying it's not there. I just, I've never heard it logically argued in a way that actually makes sense to me. Well, if you even Condoleezza Rice and, and George Bush have both said that we we were wrong on this, but, you know, whether, whether or not they still would have gone in, who knows. Yep. But for some reason, there's still people that want to defend what the secretary and the yep. president both said was for not sure. true. You know, it's weird. It, it actually, a lot of that went back to a bad... Um, British agent that actually gave us that information. It's weird that war. There, we probably still would have gone to war, but they re, the CIA relied on essentially one bad British agent that they didn't vet properly, and that that if got only, the ball. If only, right? It, it's weird. I yep. mean, it's it's more than that. Yep. But they have kind of focused that in on yep. people my age, my friends, uh, are. Our confidence in what the president says and the evidence he brings forth, their justification for war, because we grew up really functionally seeing uh, our president's justification for war fall apart. And when they promised weapons of mass destruction to find out maybe plausibly they didn't have, you know, there are all these things that create seeds of doubt. And so that creates a very different ethos in younger people. Now, if you are uh, an older American listening to this, this sounds like insane, but this is the this this is the defining cultural moment for so many people right now in their 30s and in their 40s and in their 20s and how they see war, uh, especially if you grew up in America. You wonder, can I trust them? What is justice? And then do you hear regularly these other these other ideas? It's about oil. It's about this. And it's hard because I think one of the most difficult aspects of being on this side of things, I'm not in the war room. I don't get to see all the briefings. I don't get to see the information they have is we have no idea what's true and what's not, what's spin, what's being leaked, what's misinformation. You know, it, it's it's it almost feels like on this end of things, it's just really hard to even figure out how do I even process this, let alone 
if I'm in the military? Um, how do I get excited about a war that I'm not quite positive why it's happening? I mean, I hear what's being said, and that might actually make logical sense, but how many wars did we find out later it was based in misinformation, or maybe it really wasn't ultimately about that, or maybe there are things going on bigger than what we know about. And those are really hard questions, and I, and I honestly, like, I struggle with all of that, but at the same time, I don't find myself um, lessening my patriotism or, my, or our love for our country. I, I feel like I still have the ability to see how much good America has done globally and worldwide and, and whatnot. And all right, Craig, I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about just this idea of pacifism. And, and there seems to be this growing sentiment all around us that uh, don't go to war, don't go to war, let them figure out their own problems, et cetera. Don't be concerned about it. I know it's an overstatement to a degree, but um, talk through just some of the logical consequences of pacifism. If America or other nations were to sit by, be disinterested in what's happening in North Korea, in China, in Iran, in Libya, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, what are just some of the logical implications um, for, I would say, just some of the negative, necessary repercussions if we really took a pacifistic route? So the older generation, not, not that I'm that much older. You're basically dead. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So the older generation might say it's it falls on the shoulders of those who are strong to protect the weak. Mm -hmm. And so um, you've got these sayings, to whom much is given, much is expected. And in this case, America is the big boy on the block. Um, I'm from Canada, and so we're fortunate enough to live beside America. So we have uh, three, welcome. three nuclear submarines. One's in a mall in Edmonton. One, one is operational, and one we forgot where we put it. So that's typically where, um, where we lean on uh, America is kind of what the rest of the world does as well. There's an enormous amount of money that is handed out to nations around the world from our country. Uh, Our country, meaning America. America. Yeah, there's an enormous you. amount of protection that is handed out freely from America for countries in trouble. And so America, I think, that doesn't get the press that it should get a lot Correct. of times. Yep. But it follows this principle that to whom much is given, much is expected. And if we go back to the city of God, where Augustine was writing this book, he's writing it as the barbarians are at the gate. They're about to overthrow Rome, and he has to come up with some really re reasonable expectations for why we should and should not go to war. Barbarians had none. Theirs was uh, conquer at all costs. So a lot of things in the world don't change, and there's still a lot of those kinds of dictators around that it's conquer at all costs. So it falls on the shoulders of the strong to be able to m mitigate what their responsibility is for the ones that are getting oppressed. And there's an enormous amount of countries getting oppressed today, an enormous amount. There's, there's ongoing wars that are going on. It's said that there's like 4% of human history where wars have not occurred, 4% where there's been peace. And we don't see a lot of that. We, we typically go to, um, go to Iraq or we go to Afghanistan um, because those are in front of us. Like Jeremy said, they're in front of us at all, all times. And for, and I love what, what Jeremy, I love what you said that, you know, for the first time we are like, we're doing a ride along, like in a police car mm. uh, with a camera and we're seeing this face to face. We're not seeing uh, what, what we're seeing is justice being distributed, but we're not seeing the, 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 the disgusting evil that's being propagated on the people, which is why we're there supposedly in the first place. Mm -hmm. Terrorists run these countries. They rape, they pillage, they steal. They do all the things the Vikings did. They, I mean, they are, and they do it for no reason other than absolute power. So they oppress people. So the question comes down to what then is our responsibility, I think, as a nation who has been given all of the blessings and all of the things that, that we have, are we responsible to 
to go into the rest of the world and to be the big brother that sticks up mm. for the ones who are oppressed. That's where it comes down to some of the older generation. I mean, that that is why we went into Europe. I mean, we we did so that the the Nazi regime wouldn't come over the water, but we went to stop it there. We went to help those there. And I think that's possibly some of the reason why we still do the things that we do. Not only do we go and help those who are being oppressed or even the hurricanes that came through. I mean, we are the ones who step in and help those who have been hurt. And in the arena of war, that also applies. And so your question was, what is our responsibility? And I think it's a difficult one to answer because there's a lot of oppression going on around the world and we can't help everybody, but I think we should help some. What do you say to the pacifist? He says, they're not our wars. Yeah. So let me talk about North Korea. North Korea is one of the most evil empires on the planet today. You, if you're caught with a, a Bible verse on your person written in crayon in your pocket, you will be taken and put into concentration camps today and you will never be seen from again. Now that may sound like I'm exaggerating. That is not an exaggeration. We saw this young man come home from uh, North Korea just recently. Uh, he was released and he was blind and he was deaf and he was brain dead. And they had tortured him for a number of years and sent him home when, when they were done with him. We look at that and we say to ourselves, why would they do that? They do that on a regular basis. The stories of those who escaped the North Korean regime are, are incredible. One little girl, I heard her testimony. She said, we were brought up to believe the dictator could read our minds. Mm. And it, it is an evil empire that oppresses its people so that they can grow fat and powerful. And so what is our responsibility there? We, we now... You can look at it like, okay, we got to deal with this now, or we can look at it like, okay, now we have an opportunity to fix something that has been let go for far too long, and we have shut our eyes to the oppression of these people, and they are being oppressed. They eat they eat tree bark to stay alive. I mean, you can read these stories. If you look for them, you can read these stories online. So what do you say to the pacifist, though, who says it's still not our problem? It comes down to philosophy. And it is not our problem. And you can shut your eyes and you can you can put your head in the sand. And it's a difficult area to say there's a there's an absolute yes and there's an absolute no. And that's why we, we rely and pray constantly for the government because they are the ones that have to make that decision. And the Bible says when they make that decision, our job as people under their control or under their governmental system mm-hmm. is to fall in line and join them in what they do. The Bible says in Romans 13 that the government bears the sword mm. and that it's our job to to fall in line. Yep. Which government was he talking about? A Roman government. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. But the truth stands nonetheless. And I like to think, I like to think that God has a greater plan. Mm. And so we may look at it like Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un is out of control. And maybe he is on our plane, but on God's plane, maybe this is an opportunity to save a lot of lives. I think the Christian pacifist would say, it is our problem, but we're not going to fix it using the military. Mm. So they would go back to look at the best problem fixer ever, and they would say that was Jesus, and he died a— Diplomatic sanctions? Oh, Jesus. He he died on the cross and let others kill him and— did not react violently. That they would say, and mm-hmm. for them, that and the Sermon on the Mount are their two guiding moralistic principles about how 
not only are Christians to live, but that Christians are to live as as uh, diplomats in the world. So can I push back? Yeah, a little yeah, bit? yeah. Jesus Christ, and I would say you're right. From our from this plane, fulfilled every one of Isaiah's prophecies. He's went as a lamb before his shares is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yes, pacifist, fine. But his battle was not with the people that were convicting him and nailing him to the cross. His battle was with the demonic realm, which he took on and won. He took a battle on and won the battle because when he died for our sins, uh, he, he spent three days in the grave. He rose again from the dead, and that is proof that the battle is won. That's why he said, yeah. it is finished. And that's why he said, you know, all authority is given to me after, after he rose from the dead. He won that battle. So we may look at that and say, well, Jesus would never do that. And, and he didn't say, take up a, a sword and go attack Rome. He, he never said that. But he did turn over tables in the temple. He did stand up for the woman caught in adultery. He did, he did stand up for the oppressed. Uh, he didn't do it with fists. He did it because, you know, he's got the advantage of being God. Uh, so he did it very creatively. Creativity, creatively. Creatively. I got you back. And with a lot of love. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, he did take on the people that were oppressing those who were who were weaker than them. Even the Pharisees. Yeah. He looked at them and he said, you are whitewashed sepulchers. You are snakes. I mean, he tackled. Sepulchers. The- Is that the King James Version? I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a rocking word. Yeah. yeah. Sepulchers. Whitewashed sepulchers. But he attacked the people who were attacking those who were weak. And he, he didn't do it with his fists, but he, but he did it blatantly, outwardly. And so I, I, I know where you're going with the pacifists. And the, yeah. I, I know and you're not defending someone's gotta, them. Someone's got to stand up for those who won't fight for. Exactly. If my little kid is getting, getting hurt at school, I'm going to go talk to the mom or the dad. I'm not going to go punch him in the face. I'm going to go talk to them and say, listen, let's, let's fix this, right? I'm not saying that every time somebody who is getting oppressed, who is weak, needs to be dealt with physically. Mm-hmm. But I am saying that it needs to be dealt with. And at some point, if that aggression goes to a certain level, um, then that becomes the government's responsibility to say, okay, this line has been crossed. Even Barack Obama said there's a red line that cannot be crossed. It got crossed and he did nothing. And so what happened? The aggressor got more aggressive. Mm. I will say that the, the Republican Congress would not let him do anything. That, that, that caveat must be noted. <laughs> so I, I think he yeah. wanted to. And then the GOP said, we're not going to, we don't want to be in this quagmire but but the that, bottom that, line is nothing right. happened right yeah. nothing no. happened and because of that we have last year we had this entire village of women and children wiped out uh um in syria b- because that gas got used over and over and over again and then yeah. and then donald trump uh, and i'm not for one or the other i'm not saying sure. that i'm just saying once that uh, happened this past year or two years ago i think it was last year last year yeah, yeah that bomb got sent in and uh, and destroyed that airport where that where that uh, freighter took off with the gas bombs, and we haven't heard anything since. I think that's interesting. Mm. It's weird that the United States could actually work with Assad to even defeat a more dangerous and violent enemy in ISIS. I mean that yeah. ISIS is the only organization that can invite that can unite the Russians, the Americans. The enemy of my enemy exactly. is my friend. Well, and that actually brings it right back to the second Gulf War. Is that you know. Part of just war is how are you going to win this war and win the peace? And I don't think we did a very good job at that. And then we allowed this vacuum of government to to be there, which allowed ISIS to spring up and do all of the things that they are that they are doing. That's something that 
is obviously a, a misplay by by, so by let Americans. You, let me ask you this: If do you think if we had done something with ISIS, do you think they would have grown to the point that they are today? If if we had a, if we had have done a retroactive action in respect to when they started to cut people's heads off, if we had said, "Nah, that's not going to happen," and done with, dealt with that aggressively, do you think that they would be where they are today or not? It's hard to say. ISIS, you know, some people say, well, we just go in there and we just, I mean, I believe even Ted Cruz said this just to carpet bomb them. What the problem is ISIS isn't right. deeply embedded within people, within c- civilian, civilian populations. So yeah. this is very, you can't just go in there and do that. That's, that's a tough call. I, I don't know. That kind of brings back to the Vietnam question. And I'm um, not sure if you guys are watching Ken Burns' Vietnam um, history series that's on PBS. And it's really, really, really interesting. You get the perspective of both the North and South Vietnamese and the Americans all in one. And it, and it kind of shows how that, you know, when Kennedy early on that he did not, because of he was in, involved in World War II and all the military leaders were, they saw how things, if you don't stop certain regimes, they go and they grow mm-hmm. and really bad things happen. That doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. But so sometimes, you know, you you don't, you, you, you don't have to go to war. Other times you do because you never know how, how big things are going to are gonna are gonna grow to so, Vietnam actually was obviously was a horrible quagmire for a number of reasons. But when you look at it with ISIS, is w- would they grow? Would they not grow? And do you want to get into a war? You know that that you might not be able to get out to get out of. And of course, that's why the people in the government are the people in the government. But it brings I mean, that that is part of 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 just war. I would say. You know, even though people say, well, ISIS is not an official nationality, how does that work into everything? They're not a country. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because you're talking about just war. And when Augustine had to define this in his mind and come up with this idea, he's dealing with these barbarians who were not a country either. You know, they were they were a rebel organization that just kind of attacked here and there, much like a guerrilla style warfare that we're seeing today. Uh, they didn't wear uniforms. They weren't a country. It was com- it was very, very similar to what we're dealing with today. And then he comes up with this idea that one of those points, they have to just be in, authority. They have to be under a just authority. All of the disciples went to their death under the governmental system that they were under. They were, they were martyred. It, no matter where they went, they went to uh, India or they went to North Africa or they went to, uh, to Turkey. And they were, they were martyred for their faith. And most of them were done under some governmental system. And none of them rose up and said, let's get a group of Christians together to overthrow the government. So I, I like what you said. And I think that needs to be really underlined that the church is not a governmental system. Amen on that one, The dude. church lives under the governmental system that God ordains. And God holds the king's heart in his hand. So can he use the king to do whatever he wants to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he absolutely can. And where do we fall? We, we need to obey the government. And that's... It's a sticky subject. So let's let's close with this. You each have 30 seconds to answer the following question. I'm a follower of Christ. How do I perceive the current conflict between the United States of America and North Korea? How do I respond to it? Am I on America's team? Am I excited for whatever the president does? How do I view this given the amount of tension and the the very real probability in the near future that it's going to get very bad? That's a big question. I don't know if I can answer that in 30 seconds. I'll tell you but, um, <laughs> but as a Christian, I'm I'm very wary of of Donald Trump as a commander in chief for a number of reasons. I don't think he is morally or or um, military qualified to to. But he's he's going to be making those decisions for the for the most part. And and uh, I would hope that that we have to exhaust every other possibility, but let alone before nuclear war. You know. 
it's easy for us as the chances of North Korea hitting us a nuclear bomb are very slim. They could they could ignite one over our power grid. And I've seen people talk very well-read articles that that can destroy our power grid for years and that tens of millions of people could die as a result of that. In addition to North Korea has one of the biggest cities in the world is Seoul, South Korea, which has 20 million people, which are 30 miles away or less from 50,000 cannons and and other artillery pieces that will rain down on them the minute that something like that happens. It's not just a war between us and 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 North Korea. There's a lot of other people involved. And 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 it's my prayer that that Donald Trump will surround himself and that he's just, you know, playing a game of of who who's the tougher man and and that and that Somehow, peace or whether it is, I mean, they already have sanctions on them. The little oil that they give out, that's one of their main products that their exports that China has even cut off. If China is getting nervous, you don't want a nuclear bomb or, or that scale of, of nuclear power or conventional power that near. So I, I think we have to put pressure on, and on our government. And um, that's why you elect leaders that are sane wise people that are not this is not twitter Justin anymore Trudeau. They, exactly I, so it's it's a it's we'll say this that i think that is one of the ways i do not like i do not like to see america militarism there is a point where it is it, i i think it's becoming too too much of, of the money that the united states has all after all their expenditures 50% of the money that the United States has goes to the military. Maybe that might not be a problem for you, but it's far more than education, than science. And we do use it for good. Yes, the world needs us, but uh, the, the intertwining of, of of patriotism in the military, I think, is kind of causing some of this. We think that we have this power and that we must use it. And so I'm praying and, and hoping that not more than prayers, it's prayers and that, that wise decisions come about. I mean— it, we're probably as close to nuclear war. I don't think we're as close as the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I think we're getting closer, and that's scary and dangerous. Pastor Craig? A hard question to end with uh, because there's so many different ways to come at the question. Um, the bottom line for me is uh, I have to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing uh, and that he's able to use the leaders of the countries, whether they are a pharaoh or they are, pick your favorite leader, whoever that mm -hmm. may be. All leaders are flawed. Most leaders are power hungry. And my prayer is that these leaders are surrounded by godly people. God gave Pharaoh Joseph, and that saved his people. And my prayer is that lives get saved because good, godly people surround power hungry leaders. Mm. And that may be a cop out answer, but I don't think that's permitted in some areas of the world. I know it's not in North Korea. Mm. Um, and so my prayer is that in America, God continues to use our country uh, for good. Uh, and ultimately, that means we need to trust the leaders that God puts over us. That is a hard answer to give because you may or may not like Donald Trump, and I'm not pretending one way or another. But I know that Donald Trump is in, in the place that he is because God put him there. Mm. And my job as a Christian is to pray for him. More than that, pray that people sur are surrounding him that breathe godly wisdom into his ears mm. from day to day and that he humbles himself in the eyes of the lord yep. only then can a country truly be um, used for good in god's eyes mm. ultimately uh, for those countries that are being oppressed my prayer for them is that there are christians there there's christians everywhere they're underground they're hiding they're meeting in dark locations but they're there 
Uh, they're being oppressed. They're being persecuted. More Christians have died this century than any other human point in, in human history mm. combined. Um, there are thousands and thousands going to their death. And when the church is persecuted, it grows. Mm. And so my prayer is that the church continues to grow. We look at this world like this is the final place. Mm. Ultimately, it is when God cleans off all these uh, crazy dictators and leaders, then the church will be here and we will have the best leader of all. Well, I'll take the final word as we close. You know, I'm not a pacifist. And um, it's striking to me that Jesus is going to end the world with a big, huge war. Yep. Um but that said, war is ugly and disgusting, and uh, just war is really, really hard to, mm-hmm. to, to discern. Mm-hmm. And it's a good framework. And sometimes uh, good frameworks fail us because we don't know all the facts, but we do the best that we can. And I will say America has done more good than any other nation in the entire world, maybe next to Israel giving us Jesus. <laughs> um, and it's also done incredible harm. But uh, by and large, it seems that the American ethos is a desire to do global good. Uh, the desire is to see the world a better place. Whether every method has been the best it can be, it seems that generally speaking, the American ethos has had great motivations. Um, does not mean every American leader has always been perfectly motivated, but uh, by and large. And then when we find that there is corruption, uh, we cry foul against our own leaders, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. We try to hold them accountable and responsible. And But even that's getting more and more complicated as time goes on. As a believer, uh, I don't want to see war. I don't want to see nuclear war. But at the same time, I can't imagine anybody as crazy as Kim Jong-un having a nuclear capacity beyond what he has right now. I don't know what the right answer is. I I really thank God right now that I'm not in the war room responsible for making those decisions. But as a believer, we have an obligation at this point in history to pray because, Jeremy, you hit the nail on the head. You have uh, South Korea, you have Seoul Mm -hmm. right in the line of fire. And the moment we do anything, they will unleash hell Mm -hmm. on that country. That's just one of the realities. 20 million people strong right in that area. Uh, literally right on the border of North North Korea. So um, I, I believe we need to pray and uh, we need to figure out how to um, support and yet hold accountable our leadership. As Christians, we are called to pray for peace, mm-hmm. especially for the peace of Jerusalem. Yep. So here's a question for Friday. I want to invite you back. This has been fun, long, great, just war. Man, many of you have never, ever thought about this before. This is why we're here, to bring you the best ideas and the greatest minds in the history of the world, mostly Jesus. Would St. Augustine. Fight in St. Augustine. Uh, forget about us three, right? Would Jesus fight in the U.S. military? Yes, no, maybe so. Come back Friday. We are excited to get back into that. Pastor Tim will be joining me. See you then. So he did it very creative, creativity, creatively. Creatively. I got you back.